Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Welcome to all the people who are um, visiting us here at St. Mark's for the first time, visiting us here at Light and Life for the first time. A lot of new people moving to the area. Welcome here to Northern Virginia. Welcome to D.C. Welcome to St. Mark's. It's nice to have you as part of our family here. <clears throat> so many of you know that next week, God willing, we have a festival and we are inviting people from the community. And we want people to come and to find Christ here, first of all, and find the beauty of our, of our Orthodox faith and our Coptic church, but also to find the beauty of Christ within each and every one of you. And I'm not just encouraging you to be welcoming for next weekend. I hope it's not just for next weekend, but I would like you especially to be welcoming next weekend as we will get 500, 800 um, non-Copts or non-members of the church that will be coming visiting us, walking through our doors, coming to the festival, getting food, taking tours of the church. We want them to feel at home here. We want them to feel not just at home with a bunch of smiles, but we want them to feel the presence of God through the love of every person. And so what we want to talk about to you this morning is this concept that St. Paul talks about where he says, be hospitable to one another. Hospitality is one of the most, I should say, it's the biggest identifier that you are a believer. Christ says, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another, by your embrace of others. And we're going to try to understand what level of hospitality are we expecting. I always say this here, I don't like greeting committees. A greeting committee is just like, a, like somebody kind of just filling a role. Hey, welcome to the church. Nice to meet you. Have a seat. Come, thank you for coming to St. Mark's. That is a greeting committee. That is not what we should be as the fabric of St. Mark's, that we should be, every single person should be part of the greeting, not committee, but the greeting members of the church, welcoming them into your church, into your home, and into the arms of God. Because you believe that people will find Christ here. You believe that people will find new life here. And that's the spirit that we want every one of us to have. There is... I'm going to give you guys some statistics about loneliness and how our culture, our culture here in America, I should say, is going through an epidemic of loneliness. There is a huge problem. I'm going to give you some statistics, and when you read them, these are all pre-COVID. So I want you to imagine COVID would be even worse, after COVID would be even worse. But listen to this. Three out of five Americans report being lonely. One in five millennials report not having a single friend. And I would say it's probably actually much higher than that. Because sometimes when I'm sitting with people who you might think, they're like, uh, you know, I, like, I know people, but I don't know if I have any friends. And the more and more I hear that, it breaks my heart to think there are actually people on our planet that don't have a friend. There's, I don't know how many, there's 7 billion people on the planet, eight, I don't know how many people there are on the planet. 7 billion people. And you don't have a friend? Does that say something? You want to know what's sad? Is that a third of those are Christian. A third of those are Christian. And if the Christians understood this epidemic, the whole world would find Christ. The whole world would find Christ if the Christians just understood what it means about where people, people are going through. In the UK, 
2018, they made a minister of loneliness. Could you imagine one of the ministers of government is the minister of loneliness? That's a disaster. 75 of Brits, of British people, don't know the names of their neighbors. I wonder what the stat is in America. I don't know, but it's probably even just as bad. Recently, we were invited to a, like a street barbecue for, for Labor Day. We were invited. And, you know, Sherry and I kind of have a busy life. And we have lots of community. And so we kind of, you know, we say hi to our neighbors, but we don't really engage with our neighbors very much. And so they had this barbecue. And it's almost like they were like waiting for us to join them. Like, it's about time, Paul. Like, you know, we're glad that you're with us. And everybody's talking. And there's this hunger to know us. And I'm thinking, what a jerk I am. These people... See this weird, you know, Darth Vader looking guy walking down their street every day. And like, they're wondering if I'm like, and they have this expectation that maybe they're going to get to know me as their neighbor. And I kind of, you know, I say hi or whatever. And they were the only one that probably doesn't have the best well-manicured lawn in the neighborhood, right? And me and Sherry used to always say we take walks during COVID. We're like, these people are not spiritual people. Like we are busy church going people. That's why we don't have time to do our lawn. The other people have time to do seven days a week their lawn. Okay, that's that was our justification of why our lawn was not perfectly manicured. There's a whole industry being built around the loneliness economy. Listen to this. There's a website called rentafriend.com. There are six hundred twenty thousand Americans that make money. Offering platonic, non-sexual friendship at $40 an hour. There are 620,000 people in America that make money being a rent-a-friend at $40 an hour. You're like, I, I know you guys are writing down the website. No. <laughs> That's a good way to meet people, right? Maybe single people out there. Like, this is a disaster. This is a disaster. They discovered that it's making people physically ill. They even started to compare the physical illness that is coming out of being lonely, and they started to compare it. They said, um, physical effects of loneliness are worse than not exercising. It's the equivalent to alcoholism. It really has a strong effect on people's health. Statistically, it is similar to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Can you imagine that lonely people in our world are suffering physically, okay, because they don't have anyone in their life, and it's the equivalent of somebody smoking 15 cigarettes a day, regardless of their income, gender, age, or nationality. This is terrible. St. Paul, when he talks about behaving like a Christian in Romans 12, he gives us all these instructions of how to behave like a Christian. I'm not going to go through it because we have a lot more to talk about. But one of the main things that he says is we should be distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Not being hospitable. There's a whole difference between being hospital, hospitable, welcoming, welcoming somebody. It says that you are given to it. That you have given your life to it. You are pouring yourself into this concept of being hospitable. Well, a lot of us we kind of want to stay in our little bubbles. We, you know, we look, I don't want to look to the right or to the left because then I have to say hi to people and then I have to have all these awkward conversations. We have these, these complexes in us. This is 
a disaster. And what we need is, as believers, a radical hospitality. I believe that if we were to be hospitable, we could change the world. We could change the world. I'll show you at what extent it was. In the time of the early church, St. Bachomius was, was, before he was a Christian, he was with the Romans, and he was coming as an army, and they were taking over, like they were fighting in wars. And as they were coming with their swords to the next village, the Christians in Egypt came out with uh, buckets of water and food to greet these soldiers that are coming with bloody swords. And St. Bachomius, at the time he was a, a pagan, he said, what are you guys doing? They said, this is how we receive any visitors of our village. So they came in to wash their feet and to feed them. St. Bachomius, from that point, became a believer, and he became a monk, and he started the communal life of monasticism in, in the Christian world. Okay? Just from Christians saying, people are coming to our village, even though they're coming to kill them. They're coming with buckets of water and food to feed these hungry soldiers that are coming to kill them. And so many people at that site were convicted by hospitality. Shared meals in the Bible mean more than you think. I want you to understand that Christ, and in the Bible, the concept of having meals together is actually every redemptive, salvific act, every act of salvation is surrounded around a meal, believe it or not. Let's look at some of the examples. Passover, right? When they were going to be leaving Egypt as slaves, the people of Israel, they were going to leave Egypt, they were, um, Moses had brought 10 plagues upon the people of Egypt and Pharaoh and his army and all of his people. And the last thing is that once the, the last plague hits, the killing of the firstborn, you should be eating your Passover lamb together in fellowship and then you will take the blood of this Passover lamb and put it on the doors, but you must eat the whole lamb. And it says, and the people that are with you, your guests, that God is talking about this concept of sharing a meal around the salvation of the Jews to get away from the, this tenth plague of the killing of the firstborn. When the prodigal returns, prodigal son returns back to his father, the first thing he says what? Slaughter a calf. We are going to have a meal together. This invitation of love, this acceptance of somebody, this renewal of this person's life, this lost son's life is coming from the eating of this slaughtered calf. Of course, without, without doubt, we know that the Last Supper is the most mystical supper, the most salvific supper, meaning it brings salvation, in which we take communion and we eat with one another and with Christ and we become one to each other. Having a shared meal in God's mind is something very, very, very important. When the people of Israel were in the wilderness and Moses was meeting God, Moses told the priests to come and to follow and to climb on the mountain and the people should stay on the bottom of the mountain. It says when the priests went up, they went like so far up the mountain. It says that they went and they saw, they saw God and it says, and they ate with him. This was the first time the priests got to see God or have fellowship with God. It says that they were able to eat with God. Can you imagine that the one thing that God is going to do with the priests to show that they are in communion with, is to eat with God? 
How much is sharing a meal with others? Also, also very important. Inviting somebody into your home, breaking boundaries, getting to know more about other people and their beliefs and their cultures and their way of life. Sharing a meal with others really could be life-changing and could create some serious bonds. What I want to study this morning is Genesis chapter 18 at a time in Abraham's life in which Abraham, at this point he's 100 years old. Abraham has been called by God to follow him and to go on this journey with him and that Abraham is going to become the father of many nations. He's going to have children as much as the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky. And then God says, all right, I promise you, Abraham, you're going to have a child. And he says, okay, what do I got to do? He says, if you walk blameless and are perfect before me, after 25 years of Abraham obeying and following God and not having children, he says, if you walk blameless before me, we're going to make a covenant and we will, we will be able to, you're going to have a child. So Abraham says, okay, what do I got to do? He says, I need you to circumcise yourself and all of the men, and all of the boys, up to the eighth day of life in, the whole, in your whole tribe, in your whole company. That's a very big request, right? Like God hasn't fulfilled any promises, and now I have to circumcise, and I have to announce, hey, God, God spoke to me again. You're like, God spoke to you again? He's been speaking to you for 25 years, and nothing has come through. But this time it's different. We made a covenant. Well, what do you got to do? All of us are going to get circumcised. Okay. Can we wait for the next revelation? Can we wait for another 25 years? Like before, this is like a big deal. So it says in the passage that Abraham that very day, that very same day obeyed God. Because he obeyed God, God wanted to honor him. Let's look at Genesis 18. I'm going to share some, some reflections by St. John Chrysostom on this passage. Because he points out a level of hospitality that you and I would be humbled before. Listen to this. It says, then the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the ground and said, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts after that you may pass by in as much as you have come to your servant. All right. I need to paint a picture of this passage because you're like, okay, Abraham's a nice guy. Abraham is 100 years old. Abraham is 100 years old and they are here in Egypt hot weather. Okay. I'm setting the tone. Abraham has 318 servants that serve him. They are his servants. Look at what, if you were an honorable person, if Abraham were the most honorable person, he would say, all right, I have 300 servants. I'm going to take 100 of them to serve people with. You'd say, wow, Abraham is amazing. But let's get into this passage to understand what Abraham did. It says, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. If you were in the middle of the day, Sitting in the tent, uh, sitting in your tent, and it's 100 degrees outside. Where are you going to be in the tent? Where are you going to be? All the way inside. You are going to be in the shade where it is coolest, not worrying about anybody else because even sitting at the door, that heat air, that hot air is just coming into you. It is overwhelming. 
You're 100 years old. But he's sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. Why? What is Abraham doing that he's sitting in this position? As you just read in that passage, he saw these three passerbys coming down the path through the desert, and he begins to serve them. We're going to try to understand at what level. Look at the great virtue of Abraham. St. John Chrysostom says Abraham would not entrust the task of attending to his guests to anyone, despite he was 100 years old. He thought being hospitable and caring for the needs of others was the most important thing. That I cannot entrust this to someone else. I have to do it myself. Because this is my name. This is who I am. This is something that is so special before God that I'm going to do it. You've got 300 servants, slaves that could do anything and everything for you, Abraham. You are the man of God and you're 100 years old. Everybody out of respect, especially in our, in our Middle Eastern you know, uh, culture, we would never let an old man be doing that. But he's like, clearly, he set a precedence that no one is going to do this job except for me. Abraham, what amazing virtue that you would put yourself out there at the tent door in the heat of the day. You see, people at that time might have been obligated to travel. Any, nobody would, in their right mind, be traveling through the desert in the heat of the day. And so what he's saying is, if somebody is obligated to be traveling in these conditions, they're going to need help. They're going to be going through the desert. It's going to be super hot. It's going to be miserable. They're going to be thirsty. They're going to be dirty. They're going to be very tired. They're going to need some type of care. Abraham put himself to the task. How amazing that, that when you see a person value the showing of love to another, that hospitality to another, it says he kept his eyes out for people passing by. He was looking for opportunities of hospitality diligently. I want to ask you, how often do you look for opportunities of service? If somebody asks me, I'd be happy to help. You need a ride? Somebody asks you for a ride? Of course, I'd love to give you a ride. You, um, you, you, you're whatever out of work and you need some support, I'm happy to give. But this is a whole other level. This is a person that is waiting there all day. What if nobody comes by? Abraham, you wasted your time. You're an old man. You can't handle this heat. Go inside and relax. We'll take care of it for you. Never. He is looking for this opportunity to be hospitable. I want to ask you, when was the last time you were looking and scanning, Lord, how can I serve you? How can I serve someone? How can I be like you, Lord, and run to somebody at their becking need? Do we have anyone like that in the world? Is there anyone like that that is looking for how I can be a blessing to others? You see, Abraham's calling in the very, very early chapters of Genesis 12, he says, God promised him, and you will be a blessing. Your calling is that you will be the blessing. That was his calling. And Abraham followed that call, and he took that call because he was going to be the blessing. This is a whole nother level of love. This is a whole nother level of love that says, I'm going to give myself time every week to look for anyone in need. 
somebody in my community, somebody maybe at work, somebody on my street. When we did this little uh, Labor Day lunch thing with our street people, we met um, somebody who's been on this block for 30 years. And he's widowed, and he's an old person. And we had a nice conversation. He's a devout Catholic, and we were really, had a really deep conversation. He said, you know, Father Paul, he says, I don't get many visitors. And I'm thinking, he's an old man. He's probably in his 80s, sitting in his house alone. What if he needs to hang up something, or something is broken, or something is messed up in his backyard, and he needs help? Does he have anyone? Does he have anyone to, to support him in this? And I began to think that I should be looking for people on my street to show them love, to say this is what Christ is all about. This is what this is all about, that I love everyone and that I, give my, I am given to hospitality. I am looking and I am seeking diligently to love others. That's not being nice. That's not a greeting committee. That's not a, hey, welcome to St. Mark's, nice to meet you. No. This is my hope for a real Christian community. So I don't mean to, to insinuate that we would not be a real Christian community, but I hope that we are a real Christian community. That the word of God means everything to us. That the way of Christ means everything to me. And so I have to be like this. St. John Chrysostom says this. He says, friendliness or hospitality involves sharing one's possessions with all who come to him. He's saying that Abraham, this is in the commentary of this passage, that Abraham shared everything that he had to anybody. He didn't know these three passengers, these three passerbys, these people that are walking by. He doesn't know who they are. They're sweaty. They're stinky. They're definitely not people with 300 servants, like this high status, and, and they're definitely not the people that have been called by God to be the father of many nations. Stinky people. They're just stinky people walking through the desert. And Abraham believed that everything that was his was that of others as well. And that's what the early church was like as well. When you look at the book of Acts, it says everybody in the church, literally everybody in the church, everyone that was part of the church of the book of Acts had all things in common. Everybody brought their possessions and they had all things in common. This is not my stuff and your stuff. This is all of our stuff. We're all one. This is the concept of being part of the body of Christ that you got baptized into, that you signed up for, that you came here today keeping that baptismal vow that you took when you, maybe you were a baby, saying, no, I'm still part of that body of Christ, and I want to be part of that body of Christ forever. This is the body of Christ. This hospitality really is the body of Christ. St. John Chrysostom says this. He says, since he cast a wide net of hospitality, Abraham was in turn judged worthy to welcome to the Lord of all, of his, to the Lord of all with his angels. Those visitors happen to be, the church fathers have three, or two, different, um, two different commentaries or uh, uh, explanations of who these people are. One of the saints, St. John Chrysostom, says it's Christ and two angels. St. Cyril of Alexandria says, this is a visit of the Holy Trinity. Because when Abraham would ask the three, they would, they would answer as one, showing that the, the Trinity is three in one. So they would answer as one, but they were three individual persons or three persons of the Trinity, three hypostases, okay? And so St. Cyril is explaining that 
Abraham, in showing so much hospitality, was counted worthy of being visited by the Holy Trinity. By the Holy Trinity. Imagine that you helped whoever on the street or your neighbor, or, and in doing that, you are counted worthy to be helping God himself. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that Abraham know that the stinkiest people in the desert are, are going to be the visit of the Holy Trinity? Did he know that? That was just his way of life. And when God saw that heart, he said he is considered worthy and deserving of this blessed visit. Hebrews 13, 1-2 says this. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, by doing so some have unwittingly entertained the angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Look at this mindset of the church. I want you guys to look. He says, remember the prisoners as if you are chained with them. Like when you are chained next to somebody in a prison cell, that's it. They are all you have. They are your best friend. They eat with you. They go to the bathroom with you. They do everything with you in this prison cell. He says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Okay, like the poor, maybe, but the prisoners? Prisoners are, are, are criminals. They're, they're bad people. They're people who are, who are deserving of, 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 of punishment by the law. Look at the heart of the church. Do not forget, forget to entertain strangers. Not people in need, strangers. You don't know if you're going to get anything back. If anyone is going to thank you for this, if anybody cares, if anybody's going to appreciate your, your generosity, you have no idea. But in entertaining strangers, you are entertaining God. Many of you guys know the, the, the story of the great Saint Abba Bishoy. Saint Bishoy used to have visions of seeing Christ on the mountain quite often. And it was seen on Saint Bishoy's face that he had encountered Christ. And the monk said, we want that same blessing too. Can you also make a chance for us to be able to meet him too? And so St. Bishoy said, okay, tomorrow he's going to be on the mountain. The Lord is ready to meet you, and he is waiting for you. Of course, all the monks, they put on their nice galabayas, and they're making sure that they are clean and ready, and they're prepared to meet Christ himself. And they begin to climb the mountain. And as they climb the mountain, they see an old man asking for assistance. Can you please take me with you? And they said, sorry, we would love to, but we have to go. We're going to go meet Christ. Monk after monk after monk until St. Bishoy saw the man. And he carried him and he put him on his shoulder. It was an old man. It wasn't too heavy. But as St. Bishoy began to climb the mountain, the man on his shoulder began to get heavier and heavier and heavier until he looked up and it was the face of Christ. That St. Bishoy was counted worthy to carry Christ on that mountain because he loved the stranger. He loved the stranger. Many of us, we look we're like those stinking monks, they don't know anything. Those monks, ha ha, like we all want to laugh at them because they didn't get to do it. And they, they said, St. Bashoi, like, what happened? And he explained to them the story. You and I are sitting here watching the story and we're saying, those monks, we are those monks every single day. We are those monks. We are those monks passing up Christ 
in the person that nobody greeted at church. And Christ was waiting. There was a story. We met um, one of our mission trips with the high school group. We went to Baltimore. We went to um, a place in Maryland. And we met a pastor who was, he opened up a, a soup kitchen in his church and was just feeding the homeless and taking care of them. And he said the way he started his ministry when they hired him, nobody knew that he was hired. He went on the streets as a homeless man where everybody passes by. It's a small little town. And everybody kind of passes through this main little like city market. And he would be asking for money and asking people if, you know, if they could help him or if they could get anything, maybe extra food. Can I get a, a few coins from you? And everybody in the congregation passed him by. Well, first Sunday, this pastor stands up on the pulpit, introduces himself. Hi, my name is Pastor so-and-so. And they're, oh, nice to meet you, Pastor. He's like, have you guys ever seen me before? And they're like, no, we've never seen you before. He's like, I've seen every single one of you before. They're like, what are you talking about? They're like, you know those three homeless guys that were under the bridge where all of you guys pass every day to get through, you know, the buses? and the... That was me. And none of you. None of you helped me. Be careful that you are not that person. That you are not that monk that is passing by Christ himself. I found this beautiful passage by St. John Chrysostom. It says, Let us take heed, dearly beloved, and when due to entertain visitors, never be overly concerned as to who they are and where they come from. After all, had the patriarch, Abraham, been too concerned about this, he perhaps would have sinned. But he knew the dignity of the visitors. You say, where does that emerge? On the contrary, had he known that, how would it have been even a matter of remark? Meaning, saying, if Abraham would have known that these people were a visit of the Holy Trinity, it would have never been mentioned because he knew. Obviously, he's going to serve God with this, with this great love. But he's being mentioned in the Bible because of the great love, not knowing that it was the Holy Trinity. You see, his attention to hospitality would not have been so remarkable if he had been concerned about those things as in fact was the case, when without knowing the identity of the visitors, he approached them with such alacrity and respect, like a slave to his masters. He's 100 years old. He has 300 servants. He's the man of God, but he was the slave. As if ensnaring them, trapping them with his words and entreating them not to decline and thus inflict on him the greatest loss. The way Abraham is speaking to these visitors, he's saying, if you don't let me do this for you, I will have the greatest loss ever of my life. And they're like, what's the big deal? <laughs> like, we just like, like oh, fine, go get us some water, do whatever you want to do. He's like begging them, let me do this. We should be blown away by Abraham because Abraham is giving us a sight into who Christ is. We should be blown away by this. Abraham had found a treasure in the visitors. Listen, look at the, look at the verse. In verse 2 it says, So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. He found a treasure in, in just visitors. He says, if I have found favor in your sight. I'm going to show you a picture. If you're wondering, St. Cyril of Alexandria, because there was a lot of discussions about this icon that I showed in the beginning. 
is it the Trinity that visited him? St. Cyril of Alexandria, the 24th Pope of the Coptic Church, said in this passage, I'm not going to read it with, with you, it's very, it's very um, theological, but it's saying here, it was a vision of the Holy Trinity. Because there's a lot of noise about this icon. People who don't know much theology kind of don't understand it, so they cause noise about it. This is the first icon that I showed in the beginning. is an icon showing that our Coptic Pope teaches that it's the visitation of the Holy Trinity. Abraham made no account of his weakness. He didn't say, I'm so tired, I'm old, like, give me an excuse. He said, no. He didn't make an excuse of his own old age. What is your excuse? I have kids. I'm busy. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. Somebody's going to drain me. I don't know these people. Abraham made no excuse, made no account of his weakness. Listen to this. The loving Lord's intentions was that we should not be indifferent about such friendship with our visitors. Hence his words, whoever receives one of the least of these in my name receives me. So Saint Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is saying we cannot be indifferent about friendship with visitors. That this has to be our mind. So don't have regard to the station of the visitor, nor despise him on the basis of what you can see. Don't despise him based on how he looks or she looks. But consider that in him, you are welcoming your Lord. You are welcoming what? Your Lord himself. You see, when in his name you give evidence of attention to the visitor, you will gain a reward just as if you welcomed him. So even if the person enjoying your friendliness or your hospitality is heedless and neglectful and they don't care about what you're doing, make no account of it. Don't worry about it. You will receive a perfect reward for doing it out of regard for the Lord. If this is not enough for you to want to kiss the feet of everybody that's going to walk into our church next week, then nothing will make you honor the Lord. Like, if, if all of this in an old man who makes no account, who has servants and is whatever... If you don't care about that, then, then nothing will. Be careful, though, because this is whatever you do to the least of my brethren, that you do unto me. And whatever you don't do to the least of my brethren, it's as if you didn't do it to me. These are powerful, convicting words for all of us. I found this picture of this man. You know how old this man is? He's 100 years old. <laughs> I remember when I was my 40 days in the monastery, Pope Shunur at the time, was 86 years old. Pope Shunu would come out of his little room and everybody would be waiting and he would come down the steps. He, at the end, he had, like, he had like a hip surgery and he, had, he was sick at the time. He would come out and, and he would want to like, people would want to hold him and he doesn't like anyone to help him out. So he would like, Shh, go away. And he would like, he was 86. So when I read the story, I'm like, Abraham was 100. And these visitors had not even approached Abraham, but he went to them. Abraham was sitting in the tent door, and he ran to them. So it's not like they said, hey, Abraham, do you have anything that we could, you know, drink, wash our hands? Just, I just need to sit somewhere in the shade. Do you have anywhere we can relax? A they didn't even approach Abraham. Abraham ran to them, and he bowed to the ground and offered himself. Don't wait for someone to come to you. Seek diligently. You see an old person next weekend at the festival, they don't have a place to sit, go find them a seat. Go to Home Depot, five minutes away and go buy one. 
That is the, the somebody's going to say, oh my God, well, where's this guy coming from? Oh, I just came from Home Depot. I saw that you couldn't stand. What would that do to that person? How amazing would that person feel like, these people are not from planet Earth? Am I right? I know it sounds funny. You're like, well, that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Go for it. Do it. Go out of your way to love. Abraham was doing a favor, not receiving one. He says, if I have found favor in your sight, come on, Abraham, you're doing them a favor. They should be saying, Abraham, if we have found favor in your sight, can we please have some water? Abraham is saying the exact opposite. He says, if I have found favor in your sight, please let me get some water and wash your feet. Unbelievable. You see, this is what hospitality really involves. The person exemplifying it with enthusiasm receives something rather than gives it. When you do it with joy and zeal, you are going to receive something rather than feel like you are giving. It says, and he bowed himself to the ground and said, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Jesus says, after we have done everything that we are supposed to say, we are supposed to do as servants, we should say, Lord, we are unprofitable servants. That's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14. He says, when you've done everything that you should do, you should say, Lord, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was required of us. Even when you do this, don't pat yourself on the shoulder and say, wow, I've made it. Same Bishoy, Paul, Abraham the prophet. No, I'm unprofitable. I just did what I'm required to do. I'm just a normal guy. Christian who's supposed to do this. Like, this is, this is not my option. This is my requirement. Listen to this. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. You know what he's saying? He's saying, my offering is, is a poor offering. It's not a real big offering. Can you imagine how we are blown away by Abraham? But Abraham is saying, this is something, it's, it's a poor offering. It's nothing great. I'm not offering anything spectacular. And you and I are blown away by this. Look at that spirit of that when you give, it's even not enough. That even when I showed you love and welcomed you into my home and shared a meal with you and got you the chair and washed your feet and did all these things, there's so much more I should be doing for you. I'm sorry that I couldn't even do more than this. Look at that spirit. Look at that spirit. Imagine when we stand next to Abraham in the, on the day of judgment, and God is saying, hey, when Paul, tell me what you did. I said, oh, I brought a chair for whatever person. I got a cheeseburger. And then Abraham is going to be standing right next to me, and Jesus is going to say, Abraham, tell him what you did. I'm going to be, okay, okay, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. I didn't do anything. Listen to this. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, She's 90 years old. The lady's 90 years old. You've never given her any of the children that she wants. Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. They ate, and Abraham went and just stood under a tree while they finished their meal not wanting to disturb them. Listen to this. He says, quickly, look at the, like, I don't want to lose this treasure. 
He's telling Sarah, we have a chance. There is one chance for us to get this blessing. Don't lose it, lady. Get off your butt and go make those cakes. We need to do this quickly because we don't want to lose this treasure. Look at Abraham. Look at the zeal that he has to give. Let us not lose this treasure. How come Abraham asked Sarah to do it when he didn't ask anybody else? You know why he asked Sarah? Because he didn't want Sarah to lose, to like lose out on his virtue. He was showing Sarah, do like me. I'm serving, you serve. Yeah, I'm, get one of the servants. Get somebody else. It, Sarah was happy to do it. Look at, look at this wife. She was happy to do it for her husband. This is also another virtue that we see. She was happy to do it. And he's telling his wife, learn from my virtue. As I do, you do. I'm helping them, you help them. That's our family. That's how we're going to be. I love that. Let that be in our minds. Let us go home and say, guys, our family is different from today. We're not going to be selfish anymore. Our money is not just for us. Our time and our comfort is not just for us. Our, you know, our, easy, our ease and comfort is not just for us. We have a responsibility to be sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day looking for anyone that might be in need. And glory be to This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.